joy to listen to people passing greetings and exchanging love to one another. We thank Christ that we can do that in the shed blood of Christ, awakened by His grace and spirit. We look to one another and treat each other as siblings, brothers and sisters in Christ, and it's a joy to be together, gathered together for the hot worship of the Lord Jesus Christ and a fervent love for one another. I want to start this morning with a question. How can a person be right with God? How can a person truly get right with the holy God of the universe? How would you explain the difference between being moral and being a Christian to someone who believes that being good makes you acceptable and welcomed by a holy God. How would you explain to someone the gospel? Well, here's how I tried to do it a couple weeks ago. Over the kids' spring break, Lisa and Kara and her best friend and I flew out of Indianapolis to Fort Myers, Florida. And so as we're boarding this slimline Airbus, I had my Bible in my hand and my Kindle in my other hand, and Lisa and I are going through the Airbus to look for row four, seats A and B, I think we were seated. So we're making our way through there, and we found three seats, one for Lisa, one for me, and one for my new friend, whose name is Bob. In God's providence, we sat down, we started exchanging some pleasantries, and it started moving fairly quickly. We were becoming good friends, and for 45 minutes, we were exchanging each other's concerns, questions, stories. We were entering into each other's lives and into the world of Galatians chapter 2, verses 15 through 21. Well, as we uh, got 20,000 feet in the air and about 45 minutes into this conversation, I looked at Bob and I, I said, Bob, you are an absolute joy to get to know. He was very winsome, gregarious. He was interactive. He was just a joy. I, I said, but, but it, it seems to me that you aren't overly assured and understanding the best news in the entire world. And he looked at me with a pause and a bit amazed. For you see, as we were sharing our stories, he was telling me about how he has rejected his upbringing, nominal Catholicism, and how he was beginning to despise, actually, religion because churches were filled with hypocrites. He went on to explain some difficulties in life, and he said to me, in my marriage, something was exposed to me. In my heart, I saw anger and I saw greed. 
and I tried desperately to become a good person and strive to do right with my wife and my child. And the more I tried, the more I failed. And so after my 25 years of marriage went into divorce, I resolved deep in my heart, I am going to be, I'm going to be a very good person. And so I go out of the way to help people, to serve people, to greet people, to meet people, to help people. I work very, very hard. Bob, I said to him, that doesn't surprise me in the least that you try very, very hard. You are a charming person. But Bob, do you understand Christianity? He looked at me a bit puzzled. And I said these words. We do not understand Christianity, Bob, if we do not understand the gospel. And so as we were getting seated in this interesting two-hour conversation, I took my Bible out and I put it on the tray before me and I said, would you be interested in looking at one paragraph of the Bible? I will read it to you and we will just share observations over one paragraph of the Bible. And he said, yes, I would like to do that. And it was Galatians chapter 2, verses 15 through 21. And the very text that I read him and began to interact with him over the next hour before we got to Fort Myers, Florida, is the very text I'm going to read to you. After I read to him and explained to him and interacted with him, something very startling happened. The things that you would have heard from Bob might have made you cry. Or, today, as you hear some things from Bob in this text, it might make you survey your own heart to see what condition or state your heart is in today. So let's begin. Stand with me as I read God's holy word. If you do not have a Bible, we do make Bibles available to you. You'll find them on the end of the benches, they're white, turn to page 566. If that's wrong, you'll be reading another text, but anything in the Bible is tremendous. With Bibles open to Galatians chapter 2, verses 15 through 21, we hear these words. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. But if, in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. 
In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So are you like Bob? Your low-level shame siphons your hope that you will ever see God's face shining upon you. Is your conscience troubled due to something that happened last week, last night, or maybe even this morning? Are you just simply tired of feeling like a fraud? Are you wearing out in your committed effort to secure love from people and secure love from God himself? Well, perhaps this morning, God in Christ will lavish you with the grace of God, reorienting the gaze of your heart and warming your heart to where you will leave this morning free in Christ to worship him and adore him and sacrifice for the well-being of God's people. Well, Galatians 2, 15 through 21, was penned down by the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, because there was a problem in southern Galatia. In southern Galatia, you have these churches, and Paul is writing to them uh, through Galatians to clarify and make plain the gospel for these churches. Because we heard JJ preach last week that there was hypocrisy even in Peter and the rest of the Jews and even in Barnabas, Paul's right-hand man, they started separating from the Gentiles. And in doing so, they were actually lying about the gospel because the gospel takes two and makes them into one, right? And there is unity and there is one accord and there is love. And they were starting to separate. So there's hypocrisy in churches and there's a fear of man going on. And the reason why this was happening is found in chapter 3, verse 1. It's a very unusual word. It's called bewitching. It's a strange word. But think of, of some almost spell-like enticement coming over God's people, alluring them to think just like Eve started thinking in the garden that God didn't have their best interest at heart, that something was behind God's back that he was withholding. And all they could hear was, don't eat from that tree. Don't, don't, don't. They're going, something is missing. I, I need to add something to what God has done. And the reason why this, this hypocrisy and this fear of man was increasing is because the very plain picture of the Lord Jesus Christ crucified, chapter 3, verse 1, was becoming dim and distant in their hearts. This bewitching, if you will, this allurement, enticement, drawing them away, that Christ now seems dim and distant in their hearts, and you've got to supply something to that. You cannot live life like that. And so they went into by works of the law. 
in hopes that that would make them closer to God, right with God. It's okay, right, God? We're okay? And so what does Paul do? When we start losing sight of the gospel, our only solution is to renew our hearts with the gospel, to hear it again and again and again and see with splendor and clearness Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And that's our only hope in this world. That's what he's doing in 15 through 21. And he does that in two ways. He first, in verses 15 through 16, gives a plain teaching of the gospel. Then he follows it up in 17 through 21 with a personal testimony due to the gospel. So we will continue on in the letter to Galatians by looking at Paul's plain teaching of the gospel, 15 through 16, and then we'll hear his personal testimony as a result of this gospel in 17 through 21 with an aim towards seeing the Spirit using His Word to clarify the eyes of our hearts that we can see afresh who Jesus Christ truly is. And in doing so, we will rest in Him, relish His riches, and readily carry out His dictates. That's where we're going this morning. Paul's teaching in verses 15 through 16, they're just two short verses. But these two short verses have compelled authors down through the ages to write dissertations, books, articles, in today's world, blogs, to talk about the wonder of the essence of the gospel. These verses penned by Paul a year after he planted the churches have caused artists to paint and write and to sing of the freedom and the joy that we find here in the gospel, in Jesus Christ. In fact, as I was coming in this morning at 9 a.m., a little girl about three years old looks at me with a thumb in her mouth and she pulls it out and she quotes this verse for me. Thank you, Lavinia. It meant a lot to my heart. So these verses are vitally important to God's people and I pray that they will become even more vital to our hearts as we move through this. Verses 15 and 16 teach the church that the gospel freely justifies by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. These two verses teach us that the holy God of Israel, the holy God of the universe, looks at ungodly people and declares them righteous. Can you imagine a judge looking at a guilty, godless person and saying, go free, you're innocent? You would impeach a judge like that, wouldn't you? God has done something matchless so that he is unimpeachable and one that we worship truly. He has done this by grace alone. We don't grab something from God. We don't give Him something in return for something He's going to give us. It's a gift. It's by grace alone. We don't give Him anything in order to obligate Him to give us something. It's 
by grace alone through faith alone. It's not like we are trying harder, but we are trusting happily. It's by faith. It's by trust. It's by reliance. We shift all of our hope onto. It's resting in. It's leaning upon. It's I bank everything upon. It's by faith alone. God Almighty, the Holy One, looks at ungodly people and declares them righteous by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Faith does have an object, correct? We don't have faith in faith. We're not trusting trust. This has an object, and it's not found in magic or money. We don't sink our hope in Muhammad or Mary. This is Christ. Christ Jesus alone is the object of our faith, our hope, our trust. In Him we find the riches. In Him we find life indeed. So, God looks out and He declares, You are righteous, full amnesty, forever forgiven, clothed in righteousness, You are mine. I'm welcoming you into my presence, into my exuberant love and extravagant grace. I smile upon you today and forevermore for all eternity. How? What do you have to do? Okay. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and he declares it. For all eternity. That's what verses 15 and 16 actually teach us. And teach us it does today. These verses underscore this liberating reality of justification by faith alone in three ways. Look at verse 16 with me. He talks about this truth that we're just looking at. And then he says these words. He says, yet we know, we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law. We know this. Who is the we? Likely he's referring to himself and perhaps Peter. He was just talking to Peter. We, the apostles of the church, we know this. Or maybe he's referring to national Israel. We, the Jews, we we know this. Either way you slice it, it's we Jews have a book, and it's a book that was written by God, delivered through man into our hands, and we have read it and reread it. We have memorized it. It's called the Hebrew Bible. And in the Old Testament, you find this teaching everywhere. It's not just a New Testament teaching. It's not just an Apostle Paul kind of thing. Rather, we know, we know this. You want to write down Genesis 15, 6. You'll see it very plainly there. There's another place that is very plain, and I think this is where the Apostle Paul is actually quoting from the Old Testament. You find it in Psalm 143. You can turn there if you want, but just listen, please. Here's a thirsty soul for God who says, Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my plea for 
mercy. In your faithfulness, answer me in your righteousness. Enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. No one living is righteous before you. So how can you be righteous? You can't be righteous by works of the law. And that's what the law did all through the Old Testament as a mirror to say, you're not measuring up. You can't measure up. Then what's the solution? Come to me for mercy. I have granted that mercy, and it's found in what we're about to hear. That's the first thing that he, he does to underscore and highlight the, the vivid reality of justification by faith alone found in verses 15 and 16. He also wants to underscore this a second way by noticing that the standard way of living doesn't justify. He words it, you're not justified by the works of the law. Living by legislation, whether it's the law of Moses or the law of mom, will not make you acceptable before the Holy One of Israel. Whether we think our standard of living comes from the Ten Commandments or whether we make up our own standards, we strive diligently to match and measure up to a certain standard. Whether it's with our peer group or whether it's found in the Bible or whether it's just conjured up in our own lives. And when we are we think we are measuring up, today is a very good day because you really feel righteous and you really feel welcomed. And you really feel superior and you won't bow down and worship God. For you see, under legislation by works, what we are doing is we are putting our moral prowess out on display for all to see it, and when you see it, you will welcome me, you will praise me, you will say how good I am, and that will bolster my pride, and I will use it, I will manipulate. That's what's under law by works. Can you see that that would never reach God? Each time we try to win His favor through doing good works, we dig ourselves into deeper holes because underneath that is I am trusting me. I am resting on my righteousness. I am good. You watch. <laughs> and then we will use people and use events and activities, particularly in public ways, whether it's in the kitchen or whether it's out there in evangelism or wherever it's at, and now we use it as a platform a little stage, and we act out our moral integrity, and then people around go, man, I love to be around you. You are welcomed in our peer group. We care for you, but if you do not match up, if you do not measure up, condemnation will come to you, and we transfer that right out onto God. Here's how it worked recently. No one in this room, okay, just to be clear. I was sitting down with a young man, and we had our Bibles open, and we were looking at a problem. The problem was a besetting sin. Regularly, this 
young man would fall into this sin and he hated it and he wanted it away from his life. It was like a boomerang. He'd throw it out there and it'd come right back. It was a sticky kind of sin where he just couldn't get rid of it. And he wanted help. He needed help. He wanted to get some traction and to get out of this. And so we came together and he was happy this day. He was happy this morning and he said, for two solid weeks, I've been clean. Well, I wanted to welcome that and embrace him and encourage him, but I just kind of smelled something. And, 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 and he, was, he was almost giddy. And, and he said, two, 14 days, I haven't done it. And then his heart came out. If this keeps popping and it's, and it's strange for you, just please stay with me because I don't know how to unpop it. And, and we'll try to work with this. It gets too close to my burly beard. And so, okay, is that better? All right, thanks. And, and, and his heart came out and said these words. Um, God is, is, is favoring me. I feel so close to God. I love God. I love him. You know, I think I know what's going to happen this week or maybe next week, but it's sometime soon. I'm going to go on a date. Where did that come from? I said, a date? He says, mm -hmm. that might lead to, well, you can see where it's going, don't you? When you're doing good, it's almost like you're treating God as an employer and you as the employee of the month. And so it's remuneration. I've given, now you give. And if you don't give, something's wrong with you because I upheld my bargain. That's living under legislation by works. That's what Paul is saying. It's not like that. But rather, and he shifts into this beautiful thing called living the gospel way. Gospel way of living does justify. If it is not living under law to gain grace, then by what means are we declared innocent and granted full amnesty and receive God's without restraint smile? Paul's answer is simple. Through faith in Christ Jesus alone. By faith in Christ, we are justified of all of our sins. We are in Christ and treated by God. When I was penning these words, I stopped and wondered, is this true? And I almost didn't hit the next keys. But we are in Christ and we are treated by God the Father as Christ himself. Imagine that being actually treated by God the Father as He treats His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, because we are in Him and He is in us and we are clothed with His righteousness and we are free from condemnation and judgment and we are free to follow Him in glad-hearted, sacrificial acts of kindness and obedience and love to Him. Well... This is wonderful news. And then he goes into verses 17 through 21 to show his personal testimony about the gospel. For you see, 
with those who are losing sight of the gospel, the only solution is to have the gospel made clear and plain to the eyes of their hearts. If the eyes of the heart start getting dim, then we are capable of doing anything. And so we see that Paul's testimony in verses 17 and first part of 18, he's talking about his own conversion. And then he shifts into talking about his own transformation or a life of gospel grace in his life. And his point is that the gospel that converts is the gospel that matures. The same gospel that brought him into Christ and fully and forever forgiven him and fully and forever clothed him with righteousness, Christ's imputed righteousness, and treated like Christ himself, that very gospel is the same gospel that he lives life ongoingly, and there's transformation with that, right? So you don't come to Christ in conversion by this gospel that we're talking about this morning and then say, okay, so the next step, what, what, what do you add to this? Because I've got probably 30, 40, 50 years left here on earth maybe. How do I live this out? Do I take gospel and then start adding it with all the resolutions and all the disciplines and the, the rigor of Christianity, and I meld those two together, and there it is. That's how you, he's saying it's not. You're putting yourself back under law by works, and we're to be under grace by faith, and that's what transforms us. And he said it so plainly and so clearly that there was an objection. Do you read it? He says in verse... Uh, Verse 17, but if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too are found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? And then he says, absolutely not. You see, this is a moralist objecting to free, sovereign grace. A moralist will say, there is absolutely no way that if you tell someone this kind of gospel that they're going to be motivated the next day to worship Christ and be transformed by Him for His glory and the good of people around them. They just won't do that. What do you think Bob thinks about this? Huh, we left him, didn't we? We left Bob about 20,000 feet in the air with a preacher and a passage. I wonder what's going on there. Well, let's go back to Bob. So Bob and I are talking, going through these things. And I said, Bob, I want to give you my testimony. And he said, sure, go for it. And so in February 17th, 1984, I became a follower of Jesus Christ. I was out in the Philippines. And, and I, I, I just sensed my, my woe under the wrath of God and went to Christ and was freely forgiven and forever loved. And, and I came out of that and I used to be a drunken sailor, and now I am a delighted saint. And I love Jesus. And 30-plus years now, I'm a, I'm a preacher. And there's been progress. Not perfection, ask Lisa, but rather progress. There's movement. I'm different. And he said, that simply cannot happen. 
I said, Bob, it, it did, it does. I, I, I'm testifying to that. And he said, Dan, I too was in the military. What do you mean by that? It was just a simple metaphorical slap in the face. He said, I was around people back in the late 70s in the military. And they found Jesus. And they were so happy they found Jesus. And you know what they did? They kept on sinning and sinning and sinning and saying, I'm saved. That simply can't be. I object to that. So we went into Paul's testimony and worked it through. And there was the first objection. And I said, you've got to look carefully at the gospel and its transforming work. And that's found in verses 18 and following. In verses 18 and the first part of 20, Paul states his conversion. The perfect law is before him, and he finally understood that he does, he's not fit for a holy God. And the, and the law killed him. Can you see that in the Bible? The law killed him. This is saying, woe is me, for I ha am a man of unclean lips, and I'm around people of uncleanliness. I am done. I am unwound. There is no hope for me. And then in Christ, the gospel came to him in this, this incredible Damascus Road experience, and now he sees that in Christ, he was brought back to life, and he is alive spiritually in Christ. And now, not to live to the law, but to live, you see it in there, to God. It's conversion. Die to self and live to God. The law kills you, and now Christ brings you back up, and you are alive to God. And that was his conversion. Oh, Bob's kind of hearing this, and and tacitly agreeing and yet has objections and back and forth. And then we went into the transformation of Paul in verses 19 through 21. He's mainly talking here about ongoing, life-transforming, life-changing, gospel-induced obedience when he says, I have been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I don't nullify grace. Otherwise, Christ would have died for no purpose. For, for you see... He is saying this, this sweet personal union with Christ gives a, a rise, a motivation, an impetus needed to move out in transforming love and change for good of people around him. He was an apostle and he's becoming more and more understanding of that and planting churches and doing all these things by faith in Christ alone. This gospel followed him in the nowness of the now, if I could put it like that. Now I live by faith in the Son of God. Tomorrow is the now I live by 
faith in the Son of God. When we leave here and we get into our cars and minivans, because you have so many kids, it's the nowness in there that I live by faith in the Son of God. But I don't want you to miss this, because sometimes the generalities and abstracts of Christianity get so wildly vast that you, you just wonder, does it fit me? Does it touch me? Is, is he actually in seven billion people thinking about me? And he says, I live now by faith, by relishing his riches, by resting in his goodness, by looking at him, by leaning upon him. I live by faith in the Son of God who, and then he qualifies it, doesn't he? Who loved me and gave himself up for me. By extension, can you feel that? Can you put the me in there? The chief of sinners, Pastor Garrison brought us into Galatians. His first message, he preached about Paul. Do you remember? He was a chief of sinners. And now he's so happy that he's willing to give his life for people. And he says, the reason why I'm so happy is because I have faith in the Son of God who loved me when I was a wretched sinner, dead in my trespasses and sins, unable to do anything about it. And he gave himself for me. That's code language for stretching out his arms and allowing stakes to go deep into his wrists as they're twitching and writhing under the very weight of the wrath of God upon Jesus Christ for your sins. Because he loves you. He gave himself for you. He expunged all that condemnation and took it into the grave and left it there and came up out of the grave so that you who trust in Him are united to Him by faith. And now you are in Him and He is in you and you have faith in the Son of God who loves me. He delivered Himself for me. Dan Turner, the drunken sailor in 84, he did that and he does that for me. Does he do that for you? Well, back to Bob. Because you see, Bob still was skeptical. Still, he was hesitant to embrace this. And I wonder if some of you are today as well. Because you know what you did last week or last night. And you're just going, I just can't believe this. So the flight attendant comes on and says, please get into your seat, strap in, we're making our descent. I started sensing, I have to get urgent with Bob here. He says, we're, we're moving our way down to Fort Myers, Florida. I lean over and I say, Bob, may I be candid with you? <laughs> he said, sure, Dan. This has been about two hours of, of conversation, pretty candid. Were you listening to some of that? Yeah, it was, it was pretty candid. But I said, I want to be candid at this moment. He said, sure. I said, Bob, we have talked a lot about our hearts, a lot about this passage, a lot about where you're at. And I have to tell you, 
you still appear very hesitant to this good news of great joy found in Jesus Christ. You seem like you're still pushing back. You seem like you are filled with trust in your own efforts. Bob, is that true? And he says, I have no assurance. And I said, the reason why you have no assurance is because you're trusting in yourself and there's no assurance there. Bob, I have a word picture for you. So we're coming down, and I'm thinking of this plane. And I said, Bob, picture, picture with me people coming into a slimline Airbus, and they believe that it's going to take them to Captiva, Florida. I mean, just like paradise, some, some place. How do they get there? They go in by trusting the pilot's competency, the integrity of the plane, and maybe controllers that are making sure the plane gets where it's supposed to go. I don't know how it all goes. Talk to Vic Manningham. He'll tell you how, to, how it all works. But it, there's a trust in all of that, and so they come in, and they sit down, and they relax and rest in this way of getting to paradise. And I said, Bob, continue to think with me about the contrast of that. Suppose when we're leaving Indianapolis, we're looking out the window, and we see a weary, worn out, tattered and torn bird who is right next to us as we're going down the tarmac, flapping ferociously, and we start pulling up and getting into the air, and the bird is still there, but it doesn't look promising. <laughs> this bird looks awful, and it starts fluttering, flopping, and drops. It wanted to get to paradise, but it just simply couldn't even remotely come close to it. Bob, you look like a flailing, flopping bird. And he looked at me, and he said, I think I agree with you. But here's where the tragedy hit. We're down now, and he looks over at me, and he said, I want to thank you. I haven't had that conversation in such a long time. I want to thank you for that. But Dan, I don't think I can believe that over 2,000 years ago an event happened that's going to actually be the cure for my problem. It's going to be enough. I kind of vaguely believe that, but I've got to supply it because it's just not enough. And sometimes we get that way where Jesus is dim and distant in our hearts and so we're afraid and we have to add, augment to Jesus. We look at Jesus. We would never say this, but thank you very much for your hard work. I know that you tried hard and you did well. Now I need to add to your work. Bob thanked me. He said he would think about it. And then we got off in Fort Myers, Florida. And I hope that I see him again. How about you? How about you? The Bible says we're only going to respond in one of three ways to a message like this. We're going to reject, 
we're going to reflect, or we're going to receive. Some of you might have come in here, and you're here just to please someone else, or I don't know. There's many motives for it. And you've looked at me, and you go, that's not impressive. And you've listened to this message, and you say, that's kind of foolish. And you're just rejecting in your heart because you want to get out of here and come in a beautiful day, maybe do something outdoors. Others of you are saying, I'm not quite there. I want to reflect. That's where Bob was. Reflection is good. Please see me, JJ, Garrison, others. Let's talk afterwards. But you stay in reflection state, and you're actually in the rejection state. Does that make sense? And the destination is not paradise, but perdition. Never ending, never increasing misery. The last one is reception, opening wide. For some, perhaps most of you, you are a believer in Jesus Christ. And you just need to hear it afresh, letting the grace of God lavish you today to say, Oh, I am okay. I'm in Christ. I'm forever forgiven and welcomed. And so today and tomorrow and the rest of the days, turn from your self-made projects to make yourself look good before people and man. Turn from that. Distrust your own efforts in adding to Jesus Christ. Turn to the Christ. Look to Him. Call out to Him. Ask Him for great grace, more faith, stronger, clearer eyes of faith so that you can see afresh Jesus Christ and Him crucified and what that means in the now. And then make sure that you're moving towards biblical local church, committed to, this is a family affair, this is a project that all of us are involved in, to nurture and strengthen our faith, to walk by faith, and allow that faith to go public in good deeds, in good words, in sacrificial giving, and ultimately in white-hot worship of the one true Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray to that end. Father, thank you so much for preserving down through the ages this simple paragraph. I pray that you'll map that over our hearts, that it will seep deep into our hearts, that it will transform our lives and give expression to honoring and adoring you and thanking you and obeying you. And out of that comes, I really want to love people. Grace us with this transforming work of Christ. Grace us with conversion to Christ. Help us grow in grace because we understand now what Christianity is. It's the gospel. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.